Today I'm reading and preaching from Psalm 78. This will be our Psalm of the Month for the month of May. As we have adopted a theme for the year, learning to love the Psalms, each month I'm taking time to preach on the Psalm that we will be singing throughout the month. And I'm glad for the, in a sense, the, the extra time in preaching rather than the brief or psalm meditation because Psalm 78 is a long psalm and it has a lot in it and even with the time today I will only in a sense scratch the surface. Psalm 78 tells several stories and the children might especially pay attention to see if you can identify the different stories that are being told and there are actually four that I'm going to call attention to today. Four different stories in this psalm. So listen as I read Psalm 78. This is God's word, the contemplation of Asaph. Give ear, O my people, to my law. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old, which we have heard and known and our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children telling to the generation to come the praises of our Lord and his strength and his wonderful works that he has done. For he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers that they should make them known to their children, that the generation to come might know them, the children who would be born, that they may arise and declare them to their children that they may set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. It may not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation that did not set its heart aright and whose spirit was not faithful to God. The children of Ephraim, being armed and carrying bows, turned back in the day of battle. They did not keep the covenant of God. They refused to walk in his law and forgot his works and his wonders that he had shown them. Marvelous things he did in the sight of their fathers. In the land of Egypt, in the field of Zoan, he divided the sea and caused them to pass through. He made the waters stand up like a heap. In the daytime also he led them with the cloud and all the night with a light of fire. He split the rocks in the wilderness and gave them drink in abundance like the depths and also brought streams out of the rocks and caused waters to run down like rivers. But they sinned even more against him by rebelling against the Most High in the wilderness. They tested God in their heart by asking for the food of their fancy. Yes, they spoke against God. They said, Can God prepare a table in the wilderness? Behold, he struck the rock so that the waters gushed out and the streams overflowed. Can he also, can he give bread also? Can he provide meat for his people? Therefore, the Lord heard this and was furious. So a fire was kindled against Jacob and anger also came against Israel because they did not believe in God and did not trust in his salvation. Yet he had commanded the clouds above and opened the doors of heaven, had rained down manna on them to eat, and given them the bread of heaven. Men 
ate angels' food. He sent them food to the full. He caused an east wind to blow in the heavens, and by his power he brought in the south wind. He also rained meat on them like the dust, feathered fowl like the sand of the seas. And he let them fall in the midst of their camp, also among, around their dwellings. So they ate and were filled. And they gave them their own desires. They were not deprived of their craving. But while their food was still in their mouths, the wrath of God came against them and slew the stoutest of them and struck down the choice men of Israel. In spite of this, they still sinned and did not believe in his wondrous works. Therefore, their days he consumed in futility and their years in fear. When he slew them, they sought him, and they returned and sought earnestly for God. Then they remembered that God was their rock and the Most High God their Redeemer. Nevertheless, they flattered him with their mouth. And they lied to him with their tongue, for their heart was not steadfast with him, nor were they faithful in his covenant. But he, being full of compassion, forgave their iniquity and did not destroy them. Yes, many a time he turned his anger away and did not stir up all his wrath, for he remembered that they were but flesh, a breath that passes away and does not come again. How often they provoked him in the wilderness and grieved him in the desert. Yes, again and again they tempted God and limited the Holy One of Israel. They did not remember his power. The day when he redeemed them from the enemy, when he worked his signs in Egypt and his wonders in the field of Zoan, turned their rivers into blood and their streams that they could not drink. He sent swarms of flies among them which devoured them and frogs which destroyed them. He also gave their crops to the caterpillar and their labor to the locust. He destroyed their vines with hail and their sycamore trees with frost. He also gave up their cattle to the hail and their flocks to fiery lightning. He cast on them the fierceness of his anger, wrath, indignation, and trouble by sending angels of destruction among them. He made a path for his anger and did not spare their soul from death, but gave their life over to the plague and destroyed all the firstborn of Egypt, the first of their strength in the tents of Ham. But he made his own people go forth like sheep and guided them in the wilderness like a flock. And he led them on safely so that they did not fear. But the sea overwhelmed their enemies and he brought them to his holy border, this mountain which his right hand had acquired. He also drove out the nations before them, allotted them an inheritance by survey, and made the tribes of Israel dwell in their tents. Yet they tested and provoked the Most High God and did not keep his testimonies, but turned back and acted unfaithfully like their fathers. They were turned aside like a deceitful bow, for they provoked him to anger with their high places and moved him to jealousy with their carved images. When God heard this, he was furious and greatly abhorred Israel so that he forsook the tabernacle of Shiloh, the tent he had placed among them. 
and delivered his strength into captivity and his glory into the enemy's hand. He also gave up his people, he, he also gave his people over to the sword and was furious with his inheritance. The fire consumed their young men and their maidens were not given in marriage. Their priests fell by the sword and their widows made no lamentation. Then the Lord awoke as if from sleep, like a mighty man who shouts because of wine, and he beat back his enemies. He put them to a perpetual reproach. Moreover, he rejected the tent of Joseph. He did not choose the tribe of Ephraim, but chose the tribe of Judah, Mount Zion, which he loved. And he built his sanctuary like the heights, like the earth which he had established forever. He also chose David, his servant, and took him from the sheepfolds. From following the ewes that had young, he brought him to shepherd Jacob, his people, and Israel, his inheritance. So he shepherded them according to the integrity of his heart and guided them by the skillfulness of his hands. I grew up singing the Psalms and... uh, came over time to appreciate the the wide variety of psalms that there are. As a child, I remember enjoying especially the ones that that tell a story. Psalms like Psalm 78 or or 83 or 108, other psalms like that. And I confess that sometimes as a child, I was fascinated with the names that are listed there the mighty kings that are told about, the battles, the story. It was all about what God was doing. Well, as an adult, I've come to appreciate the significance of those people, the significance of those events as as being part of of the great story of redemption that leads us to Jesus Christ. I've also come to appreciate the effect of this type of psalms because they prompt us to remember. They prompt us to recognize the character of God. And in the midst of telling a story, they lead us to meditate on those things. The use of the psalms, they, they train us in righteousness. They have a place in the Christian life. And in the context today of the baptism of one of our covenant children, Neil Curry, I want you to especially notice the place of story in the training of our children. Verses 1 through 8 are going to tell how this is so important, about how it is that we are blessed by God and part of the practice of training them in righteousness. And linked to that, because of this, I want you to see the place of singing the Psalms as a key role in training our children in the faith. The idea of this sermon is that I want to urge you to sing the Psalms to strengthen your faith. So by way of intro and in keeping with our theme of learning to love the Psalms, let me briefly point out the character of this Psalm. And I want to do so because I think there's sometimes an approach to worship song that thinks that worship songs are only those that are are full of this high praise of God. 
There are lots of those, the hallelujah songs that, that, that we sing. But I want you to see that God has also given us songs that teach us. And this is, this is a teaching psalm. It, there's, it's a, a teaching that comes in the form of story, but it is of a different character. It declares the character of God. It declares the doings of God. And, that's, and you'll find a number of psalms that can be classified in this way, that they are teaching psalms. And they have a place in our worship because God has given us them, but, but also I want you to see what the New Testament says about this. In Colossians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul speaks of the Psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, and those are, those are titles of the, of the Psalms that are in what we would term our book of Psalms or the Psalter. He says that with them, that we, uh, we, we teach and admonish one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing with grace in our hearts to the Lord. Just to, just to tease that out a little bit further, I want you to see that the psalms are used to stir grace in your hearts, that they have not just an element of praise that is given to God, but there is also this uh, this instructional or this uh, uh, the, the building up of your faith is part of the purpose of of our singing the psalms that means that the psalms are effective when you when you read them and meditate on them they're effective when you when you pray them and we sometimes do that we sometimes will take the psalms and and pray them I even have a recent commentary on the Psalms that the author says, I want to rediscover how the Psalms may be prayed. Well, I'm hoping that we would rediscover how the Psalms may be sung as well, because they are of particular blessing by God's definition. They're of particular blessing when we sing them and that God uses them to declare his nature. And so we, we admonish one another. We build one another up, not just when we read them or meditate on them or pray them, but also when we sing them together. And so let's think about that, that main idea of my message today, to sing psalms to strengthen your faith. It's the title of the message. It's the main idea. It's point number one. If you go away and you don't know what I'm wanting you to know today, go back to those things. Sing the Psalms to strengthen your faith. Verses 1 through 8 especially go through this. They invite you and call you to listen to God's law. The author Asaph calls this psalm a parable that God has given. And you probably recognize that uh, that idea of parable from Jesus's teaching and just pause and, and remember how Jesus used parables. He, there were a variety of reasons that he taught in parables, but one of them was to take the, uh, the deep doctrines of God and to make them accessible 
to people of faith. One of my mentors, Bob McFarland, talks about this as putting the jar or putting the things on the lowest shelf so the children can get at them, right? So parables do that. They take the sayings, the deep, dark sayings of old, as the psalm says, and make them accessible even to children. And that's what Asaph says right up front, that this psalm is a parable, and it will teach you God's law. It will train you to understand God's strength. It will help you to remember the wonders he has done. And just think about the historical setting of the psalm, and it will it will, will help you to understand one of the uses of psalms and this training in God's law and righteousness. I'm going to guess that uh, almost everybody here has a Bible of their own. Maybe some of the youngest children don't have a Bible yet because they, they can't read, but I'm going to guess that a lot of you do have a Bible of your own. Well, uh, the children of Israel at the time of this psalm, did not. It was not common to have uh, printed Bibles. Uh, uh, Written word was in scrolls, right? And they were few and far between. And and so how did they know God's law? Well, it was written, and it was read publicly. It was read publicly. Each week in the worship of the, uh, uh, of the tabernacle, later of the temple, and then in the midst of the children of Israel, the Levites were scattered, and in the synagogues, the word was read and explained and applied. And coupled with that reading was the singing of God's word. And there was a in a sense, a, 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 a use of the word written and read and heard and sung to be an instructive tool in the life of the children of Israel. And the parents then would take that and they would take that law and communicate the faith that they had received to their children. And here, just, uh, just think of the, the beautiful context of the covenant people of God that is part of, uh, of the emphasis today and that we have enjoyed the baptism of a covenant child. But let me put that in the Old Testament setting of the covenant, bap- uh, covenant sign of circumcision. And here are the words that are given about that that are going to fit just hand in glove with Psalm 78. What was God's promise to Abraham? I will be your God. You will be my people. I will be a God to you and to your children after you. And in in demonstration of that covenant promise, he gave the covenant sign, the sign of circumcision to be applied to their children. God later said of Abraham, for I have known him in order that he may command his children and his household after him, that they may keep the law or keep the way of the Lord to do righteousness and justice, 
that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has spoken to him. And what I want you to see is that is the covenant promise of God and the covenant practice and the covenant sign all working together. The covenant promise, I will be your God to you and your children after you. The sign is circumcision. The practice is that you would command them to know the Lord. You will bring them up in the nurture of the Lord. And this is what Psalm 78 echoes. Look at verse 5. God gave his law. He commanded our fathers that they should make those laws known to their children. That's a that's two generations in view here, the fathers and their children. And that the generation to come might know them, the children who would be born, that they may arise and declare them to their children. There's another generation in view. Three generations already, and implied in that on and on, that they may set their hope in God and not forget the works of God but keep his commandments and not be like their fathers. Stubborn and rebellious, those who forgot God. In this context, again, hear about the covenant promise, covenant sign, the covenant practice of the training and nurturing of our children. And hear Psalm 78 and said, here's a parable for your children. Here's a way to to teach them to fear the Lord. Here's a way to warn them of the sins of our fathers. And that covenant practice then is part of the blessing of God to raise up children from one generation to the next who would fear the Lord. So what were the truths that Psalm 78 related? What were the stories that were told? Well, let's dig into that. And here's where the rest of the psalm goes on. As I said, it is a longer psalm. I'm going to summarize the stories that are told because they are stories. Stories that I hope that you will recognize as I explain them. Maybe you've already caught some of them. Listen and see if you can catch the four stories that come out here. Sing psalms to warn against sin. That's the next heading that I'm going to give to you. And it will, uh, it will divulge some of the stories that are told. There are three sins that we're going to look at. Three sins that we are warned about in this covenant practice of training ourselves and training our children. The first, Israel forgot the works of God. Israel forgot the works of God. This, this and the, uh, the other two sins are verses 9 through 23. Uh, and the first story comes out. It starts by telling of the children of Ephraim who were armed for battle, but then they turn back and run away. And then later, the consequences of that is that, is that God disciplined children of Israel. He let his glory depart and the priests were killed. Now I, I, I hope that you start to recognize because I just preached from this in 1 Samuel when Eli sent the Ark of the Covenant into battle. God in the box. And God chastised the children of Israel and the glory departed. 
The first story is that story of how the children of Israel forgot that God was not God in the box. That the Lord God is the God who made the heavens and the earth, and most particularly, God is the God who delivered them from Egypt. And that's the second story that's told. Verse 11 says that they forgot God's works, his wonders. What were they? Well, here it tells the story of the Exodus, how God punished Egypt and refers to them as the fields of Zoan, so that you would recognize that, and how God led them out of Egypt, how they passed through the Red Sea. He provided for them miraculously. When they were thirsty, he gave them water to drink. When they were hungry, he gave them bread, and not just any bread, but the bread of heaven. They ate the food of angels. And when they complained, even of that, he gave them food. He gave them meat to eat. And this was the, uh, the birds, the quail that were, were brought in, and they fell down to be just picked up and prepared and eaten. This part of the story makes us groan sometimes, doesn't it? How could they forget? And if you're like me, you'll sometimes point your finger at the, at the Israelites and, and say, those hard-headed, stiff-necked Israelites. It's no wonder God was furious. Glad I'm not like them. <laughs> well, I, I smiled, hoping that you would catch the irony of saying that. This is part of a psalm like this. It uh, it prompts you to say, no, "This is me too," and it prompts you to recognize how forgetful you are of God's goodness to you and the mighty acts that he has done for you. And so don't stop by saying, oh, this is just an Old Testament psalm. Look at this stupid Israelites, and I'm glad I'm not like them. No, press further and tell the story of Israel so that you would be warned not to sin, to not forget God, let it stir your heart. Let it admonish you and teach you and training train you in righteousness. And particularly, remember how God has been good to you. Remember the stories, your own story, and tell those stories. Tell them so that you would remember your own conversion and the goodness of God to snatch you out of death. Remember the stories of goodness of how God has provided in your life and, and the goodness that you have seen over and over again. Tell them to yourself. Tell them to your children. Tell them to your grandchildren so that they would remember God's goodness and that you would be warned against the sin of forgetfulness. The second sin is that Israel did not persevere in faith. 
This is verses 34 through 55. We've noticed this before about the children of Israel. God brought them out of Egypt, a mighty deliverance, and they begin to complain. They don't have water. God gave them water. They begin to complain. They don't have food. He gave them food. They begin to complain. They don't have meat. He gave, gave them meat. He brings them to the holy mountain, and they worship the Lord there, and they turn aside to idolatry. They, they come to the promised land. There's giants there. They complain. It's just back and forth and back and forth. They come into the promised land, and the and the book of Judges just goes back and forth and back and forth. They believe, they repent, they come back to the Lord. The Lord restores them and they, they forget again and again. And part of the story of this is that lack of perseverance and faith, the wavering that takes place. And in this passage, in the text, uh, verses 34 through 55, you'll see that God was faithful even though they were not. It's shown in that he chastised them for their forgetfulness and complaining. A chastisement, which is a demonstration of love, by the way. There is judgment that falls on those who reject God there is loving chastisement on those the Lord is drawing to himself. And he faithfully brings that to them, even though there is this, this wavering that takes place. And in the light of that wavering, Asaph goes back to that second story again to remind them of, of Egypt. And he he tells of the power of God over the Egyptian uh, Egyptian nation. Here it tells of lots of the plagues. Water turned to blood. A plague of flies. Of millions of frogs coming up out of the water and getting everywhere in their in their land. He told of how God destroyed their crops and their livestock. And finally, God struck down the firstborn of Egypt for the reason so that he could lead out his own children of Israel, bring them to Mount Sinai, bring them to the land of Canaan. And the effect of this, the effect of this part of the story displays God's faithful love in the context of our sinful lack of perseverance, our wavering in faith. And that's the part of the story to take to heart for us too. Again, don't just resign this to the pages and the dust of history, those stiff-necked Israelites. Instead, recognize yourself and tell the story so that you and your heart and your family would be stirred in faith. Tell your story, uh, not just of God's, God's mighty deliverance, but but don't hide the ways in which God has corrected you from your children. Don't try to hide your sins from your children. But part of your story will be to walk with them as you repent to them and practice restoration and rejoicing in the forgiveness that comes in Christ.
these stories will nurture your faith and will nurture the faith of your children as well. A third sin, Israel worshipped idols. That was as if it couldn't get any any worse, but the psalm uh, progresses on, and in verses 56 through 64, it says, again, they tested and provoked the Most High God. They provoked him with worshiping idols. So not only did they forget God's mighty deeds, the way is provided, not only did they waver back and forth, but they exchanged this one true almighty God for something they made with their own hands. An idol that they would carve out of wood or craft out of gold. A cow that they would bow down to and say, you made me, you delivered me. And they rejected God. Is it any wonder the Lord responded with chastisement once again and judgment? Describes their rejecting of the true worship of God, worshiping in the high places. And you can remember other other idolatrous practices, taking their children and sacrificing them on altars to these false gods. And this especially provoked the Lord to anger. He forsook them for a time. You can think of the time of the judges of that discipline. That's that that uh, that story of God's God's deliverance. You can think of of uh, of how they how the children of Ephraim, when they got the, uh, the ark back, how they also did not pay attention and, and practice idolatry before the altar. And God was provoked to anger and forsook them, delivering them over to slavery, captivity, so that they would be warned of the sin of idolatry. Here, this part of the story warns against... Uh, does warn against idolatry, and you may use this story as well, unmasking any idolatrous tendencies that you have. Now, it may not, it may be that you don't have a golden cow at home, literally, but be warned of the more subtle idols that are idols of our hearts. And it's an opportunity for you to train your children in those more subtle idols as well. These stories, these, uh, these aspects of those who have gone before us warn us about these three sins. And you can sing the Psalms to warn you of them. Which leads to the third point and the third and fourth story. I'm going to draw them together. Sing the Psalms to be led to Jesus. There is one last portion of the Psalm and uh, one last encouragement to read and to sing the Psalms. And uh, what the, what this portion does is it tells the story of the, of the coming of David. There's the third story. God rejected Ephraim. There's that first story. Uh, 
Ephraim would not be the tribe of the king. It would not be the tribe of, of the covenant promised one. Instead, Ephraim, who had led in that battle, was rejected. And God raised up Judah. And he raised up David, the shepherd boy, to come and to be king over the nation. And there's that story of David. And the effect of this part of the story is to speak to the longing of the covenant people of God in that day and in our day, the longing for the king, the longing for the one who would rule them in righteousness, the one who would would administer justice rightly, who would shepherd them in a in sincerity and in truth. And David was that man for the day, but he was also a forerunner of the perfect man. And that's the fourth story. Because Psalm 78 ultimately is about Jesus. It's ultimately ultimately about the king that would come that would fulfill what David was only a promise of. We know very well, and, and David knew it, and the people knew it, that he, he also sinned. He was not the Messiah, but the longing for the king was still there. And what is a comfort for the Old Testament is now a reality in Jesus Christ. Because the song leads us to Jesus. It leads us to the perfect king that is promised in David and promised all throughout the scriptures. So when Jesus came, he came in fulfillment of all righteousness and all promise. And in the context of Psalm 78, there is another really fascinating connection to Jesus to be made. And I'll call your attention to to Robert Godfrey, who makes this connection between the three sins and the three temptations of Jesus Christ. Maybe you're wondering why I read that this morning from Matthew 4. Uh, there is an, a startling similarity to those three temptations to what's described in Psalm 78. What was the first temptation? Jesus was hungry. Change these stones into bread and remember the provision of God that's mentioned in that first sin. They forgot that God had provided for them. The food of heaven they were given. And Jesus remembers. He remembers God's provision. He remembers God's word. You shall not live by bread alone, but every word of God. What was the second temptation? If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. There is a tempting of Jesus, a tempting of God to waver in his faith, to tempt God himself, much like that wavering of the children of Israel, but, but God's faithfulness to deliver. And Jesus responds in faith again. It's written, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. And the third temptation Satan leads him up to the heights of the mountains, shows him the kingdoms of the world, and he says, all of this will be yours. 
if you'll worship me. You don't have to go to the cross. You don't have to do any of that. I will give you all of these things if you will worship me. Sin of idolatry. And Christ responded, in faith and obedience, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. You see where, where the Israelites wavered and failed over and over again. Christ came in the fulfillment of all righteousness. He obeyed everything and obeyed perfectly. It's not just the Israelites who waver. It's not just the Israelites who are sinful, but we all, like sheep, have gone astray. The cautionary tale of Psalm 78 is, is not just for the history, history books. They are for you today. They are for you to, to tell these stories again so that, that you would be warned about sins that, that plague you, that have been part of your story. They're there to not only caution you about sin, but to, but to drive you to Jesus, who has obeyed perfectly, who has died for your sins, who is your Redeemer. Psalm 78 leads you to... To, to have your heart stirred up in faith. And these, this, this type of psalm has a particular wonderful place in your life because it declares the character of God. It declares his mighty deeds throughout all of history to bring salvation. It declares Jesus Christ. And by reading, by meditating, by praying, and by singing. My prayer is that you would be trained in righteousness, that you would admonish one another with the singing of the psalms and hymns and spiritual psalms, that you would tell these stories, that you would sing these psalms as part of nourishing your faith and nourishing the faith of your children and the generations to come. Amen. Let's pray. Well, God, thank you for your faithfulness. We admit in your presence that we, like Israel, are a stiff-necked people. We confess our sins to you and thank you that you are faithful to save us. We thank you for our Redeemer, Jesus Christ, who came in obedience to your law and kept it perfectly. We thank you for Jesus Christ, the great shepherd king who shepherds our souls. And we thank you for the way you have given your word that it may nurture our faith. It may stir us to be sharpened and stir us to be strengthened in our faith. We thank you for the tool that it is, that covenant practice. We may see the covenant blessings in the generations to come practice of training our own children in the faith. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Turn to Psalm 78, selection J. 
We rarely get to the letter J, but Psalm 78 is long enough to get there. We haven't been able to sing all of Psalm 78 today. In the future, I hope that we will in a different setting. We'll close with the closing words that point to the King, that point to Christ. Psalm 78, Selection J. Please stand to sing.